Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for reading for us, Jesse. Um, do keep that scripture passage open. You can find some space for notes on page four in the bulletin as well. Um, somebody pointed out to me in the uh, greeting time there how ironic it was that we're asking people to come and help weed when I believe the sign out here right now says something about weeds and kind of letting them grow. So, but uh, we want, um, what we're doing really as we come to God's word in one sense is weeding. God's word kind of weeds out our hearts. So let's ask God to, uh, to help us understand his word as we go to it together. Let's pray. Um, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our time already uh, that we have heard it, we've sung it. Lord, we've uh, called upon you in light of it, and Lord, we pray now that you would open our hearts, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us understanding, help us uh, know what it means to take up the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and uh, help us to do those things uh, by your power, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What should I wear? That might have been a question that uh, confronted you this morning as you considered heading out to church. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, has infamously found a way to avoid the question. Uh, Apparently, his closet is lined with multiple sets of exactly the same clothes, blue jeans, gray t-shirts, and gray hoodies. Rarely is he seen out in public without that combo. Uh, What should I wear? Uh, For most of us, it depends on the day. Uh, For one thing, uh, if we were pulling up weeds, we might wear uh, something. Uh, For a day at the pool, we might wear something else. For work, for church, uh, for certain professions, you would wear certain clothes. Doctors, nurses, police officers, firefighters, they all have a certain kind of uniform. Uh, What we wear should fit the occasion. Uh, For example, it is probably best not to wear your swimsuit to a funeral. And now numerous times, the Bible uses this idea of clothing as an illustration. Uh, God expects us as Christians to wear a certain uniform. Uh, Not that, of course, that means we have to wear a certain thing for church. It isn't like the friend of mine who was out with a group of us doing some street evangelism. Uh, Everyone else was wearing shorts and uh, T-shirts. He was wearing a suit. Oh, no, he said, everyone's going to think I'm a Mormon missionary. That was genuinely his concern. Uh, But when the Bible talks about clothing, it isn't usually talking about what we wear uh, physically, outwardly. Clothing is an analogy, an analogy usually for our behavior. As Christians, there are certain ways that we're meant to speak and and think and act. Uh, In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, just up up the page. Ephesians 4, verse 22, uh, and you'll see what I mean by this clothing analogy. 
Uh, There, Paul describes how we have heard about Jesus, how we've been taught in him. Uh, And verse 22 tells us to, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We need to shed our pre-Christian clothes, if you will. And verse 23 continues, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the idea, of course, that in Christ we get a new identity. We've been given through Christ a fresh start at life. And so we need, with that, to change our clothes This new identity should reflect in a new life characterized by righteousness and holiness, as Paul puts it here. And as we come to Ephesians chapter 6, we should hold this in our minds. In Ephesians 6, we see this clothing analogy being taken a little bit further. What are we to wear as Christians? Well, it turns out we're not to wear the blue jeans and hoodie of the tech boom entrepreneur. Uh, Neither is the Christian's clothing what we would wear for a day at the beach. No, for the Christian life, a swimsuit won't cut it. As Christians, we're embroiled in a cosmic war. Uh, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, writes Paul, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, And so we should dress ourselves like soldiers. Uh, We should put on the whole armor of God. Uh, As we saw last week, what that means is this. We need to rely on God and his strength as we take our stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, But what does that actually mean? How do we put on the armor of God? Uh, As I mentioned last week, as a young Christian, I I would get up in the morning and literally say to myself, I I put on the belt of truth. I, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is that what God wants us to do? Each morning, are we to perform some kind of abstract religious ritual? Well, I would suggest that's not the point. In fact, I would suggest the key is to read all of this in light of the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I suggest that what we uh, read a few moments ago, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, lies actually in the background, particularly of the verses we're going to look at this morning. We are to put on the new man. In that sense, we are to put on Christ. We're to seek to live out our new identity as Christian believers. And ultimately, I think the same point is being made here, except the the analogy of armor is being used because of the context in which we're living as Christians. We are to live in light of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, You see, each item of armor here, righteousness, salvation, faith, all of these things relate to something Paul has already addressed in his letter to the Ephesians. In fact, it is as if throughout the letter, Paul has been laying out the different pieces of armor on the floor. Uh, That is the truth over there. Here is righteousness over here. Uh, This is the gospel of peace. There is salvation, the salvation that God has brought us through Christ. Uh, And now having laid it out on the floor, he tells us to put it on, to take it up, to live our lives in light of it. Uh, You're going to need all of this, he says, everything that I've told you. You're going to need all of this to survive because you're in this cosmic struggle with the enemy. And so my goal throughout this series is to help us make that link, uh, to consider each item of armor as it relates to Paul's teaching in Ephesians. Uh, What does this letter teach us about righteousness, about truth, about the gospel? Uh, What does it mean to put those things on? How do those things help protect us against our enemy? Uh, And this week, we're going to just look at the first two. Uh, We're going to look at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now, I, I know that many of the kids here have been making these items of armor, so I was tempted to uh, ask some of you to bring them and, and actually wear them at the front, but I thought that might be a little bit uh, asking a bit much. But if you will, today's take-home truth. Uh, by God's power, arm yourself with true belief and right behavior. Arm yourself with true belief and right behavior. Now, those things are only possible by the power of God. That's the heart of what Paul says, isn't it? Uh, but that really is the answer, what should I wear? That's answer, the answer to the question, what should I wear? What should I wear? Well, the first thing we should wear is the belt of truth, uh, by which I believe Paul means we should pursue true belief, true belief. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean uh, the only path to safety for a Christian is to develop a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview. Uh, what is a worldview? Well, it's a way of looking at life. It, it is a way of answering the fundamental questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there a God? If so, what is God like? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Is there any meaning to life? Uh, we all answer those questions in one way or another, at least, uh, or at least with those questions, we, we have some working assumptions. Uh, what we think about those questions informs the way that we live our lives. Uh, imagine you go and watch a sports game, let's say the Iron Pigs or something like that. Uh, there are certain things you know instinctively about how it works. You buy tickets, perhaps ahead of time. You park in the parking lot. That you enter the stadium and, and you don't just walk out onto the field. No, if you did, you'd be wrestled by the security guards. But you take your assigned seat in the stands. And as you watch the game, it proceeds according to certain rules. And if those, worlds, if those rules are broken, well, the umpire will see it. And if the umpire doesn't see it, there'll be an uproar from the fans. Well, in one sense, life itself is very much like that. Uh, there are certain expectations, certain unspoken rules of the game, if you will. Uh, the particular set of rules we have is shaped by the place in which we live or the culture we inhabit. Uh, rarely do we stop and reflect on what they are. Uh, for example, there is an unspoken rule in our society when it comes to education, and that is that education is something that really, really matters. This is a guiding assumption. It's why our kids spend 12 years in school, and then most of them go on to spend at least four more. Uh, and in some sense, that assumption actually comes from Christian roots, it's quite interesting. In fact, it brings us in some sense to the point of our text today. Uh, Paul clearly tells us that what we know matters. Uh, understanding truth is an incredibly important thing from a Christian perspective. Stand firm by putting on the belt of truth. Or literally translated, stand firm by girding up your loins in truth. What is Paul talking about? Well, it turns out truth is a huge theme in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul speaks about the word of truth. And the truth he's talking about there is, is, is the gospel, the good news of our salvation through Jesus Christ. That gospel truth isn't just a, a one-line message, Jesus died for our sins, but it's, it's something that Paul unpacks throughout his letter to the Ephesians. This is one of the big themes. The truth is much bigger than that. In fact, in Ephesians, truth really is a, a worldview. It is, it is the answer to all of life's big questions. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Well, that's the point of Ephesians chapter 1. There Paul describes God's cosmic plan started before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Jesus Christ. And you want to ask, who am I? Why am I here? Well, that's what Paul unpacks in chapter 2. Apart from Christ, we're dead in our sin and estranged from God. But now in Christ, we've been raised. Now in Christ, we've been 
brought near to God? Is there a God? And if so, what is God like? Well, well, that's the point of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Uh, Christ makes the unseen God known. Uh, when it comes to God, only in Christ has God now revealed to us the great mystery of history. Uh, and so we find bracketing all of these things, Paul prays. And what does he pray for? Well, he prays for our minds, that by the power of the Spirit, God would blow our minds, that he'd expand our minds and our hearts to understand this glorious reality. And he wants us to know not just the truth, or, or I should say not just truth, but he wants us to know the truth what someone has called true truth. That is, he wants us to grasp the truth of the gospel, and he wants the truth of the gospel to shape the way that we view the whole of ourselves and the whole of life. And so let me ask you, what do you think he means when he asks us to put on the belt of truth in light of what he said? Well, surely what he wants is for us to pursue true belief. He wants us to live our life in light of God's truth, God's word. And he wants our lives to be shaped by truth rather than by the lies of the enemy. And how important this is. After all, this is really the front line of the enemy's attacks. Uh, Satan is called in Scripture the father of lies. And from the very beginning, deception has been central to Satan's strategy. Uh, this was his very first attack in the garden, wasn't it? His very first temptation was an attack on truth. Did God really say? Uh, those are the words of the serpent to, uh, to Eve in the Garden of Eden. There in the garden, the devil invited Adam and Eve to question God's assessment of reality. Now, we could say that Satan proposed an alternative worldview, couldn't we? A worldview in which God is not good, but God is a killjoy. A world in which we are to make up our own minds about what is right and wrong. A worldview in which true freedom comes, not, not in coming to God, but in turning away from him and his commandments. A worldview where we can sin and rebel against God without any consequence. A world in which God doesn't punish evil or punish sin. And listen, when you put it that way, I think he's been doing the same thing ever since, has he not? He's been telling the very same lies. In fact, didn't I just describe you, describe for you the worldview that is prevalent, perhaps most prevalent in our culture today? It's what we see on our news feeds. It's what we see in our favorite TV shows. It's more broadly reflected in our media. And the same was true for the people of Ephesus, for these Christians in this city, a pagan city with the, uh, the temple of Artemis. Uh, people worshipped all kinds of gods there, like power, like pleasure, like comfort, like convenience. Uh, and Paul is calling them to turn away from those lies and instead embrace God's truth. He calls them to turn from idols to serve the true and living God. And having done so, he now wants them to grow in truth. Uh, he wants them to put on the truth. Or to phrase that another way, he wants them to, to develop, to form a Christian worldview. Uh, how do we do that? That's a big question, isn't it? How does this happen? Uh, how do we put on the belt of truth? Well, well I, I think it's interesting. We should know how Ephesians itself models the answer. Now, how does Paul help the Ephesians build their lives on truth? Well, he does this firstly by writing the truth to them. He does this by preaching the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel throughout this book. And secondly, I think this is important as well, he also does this by praying for them, that the truth would sink in. Uh, preaching and prayer. Uh, we find throughout the scriptures, those are God's means, the proclamation of the gospel in, in prayerful dependence on God's spirit. 
And these are the same things we find everywhere, aren't they? And we can expand on them. It isn't just preaching and prayer. No, no, no it is God's word. It, it isn't just pastors in pulpits. It's God's word spoken everywhere. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians 4 again. Ephesians chapter 4 and look down at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And there in Ephesians 4, Paul highlights one of the key threats against the church. He highlights one of the key ways the devil will attack God's people. He tells us that we can become like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How easy it is for us to become led astray by lies. But what is the opposite of that? What is the antidote to that? Sure, I'm sure it includes hearing good sermons, yes, but, but the answer is found in verse 15, isn't it? Here's the contrast. How do we put on the belt of truth as a church? Well, look at verse 15. Uh, rather, that is, rather than being tossed around by lies, rather by speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It is by speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow. Uh, and then look at how Paul continues. This isn't just the work of, of, of one pastor or even of the elders. No, we're to grow up in Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The passage doesn't let me off the hook as the preacher. Rather, this passage actually puts you on the hook as church members. It tells us this. It tells us an incredible thing. It provides for us a way to build a Christian worldview, and actually it's incredibly simple. It happens as we speak the truth in love. Uh, let me paraphrase this. Paul is saying we're built up through loving, truth-saturated conversations. Uh, we put on the belt of truth as we take the truths of God's word, and, and in the words of Deuteronomy 6, we teach them diligently to our children. Uh, as we, we talk with them, as we sit in our houses, as we walk by the way, as we lie down when we rise. Uh, in other words, putting on the belt of truth isn't just something we do on our own, in our bedrooms, uh, when we get out of bed, uh, nor is it just something we do when we read our own Bibles. I know it's something we do in our families as we read and discuss God's Word. And it's primarily something we do in the church where we worship God in spirit and truth, reading, singing, praying the Scriptures. It happens over coffee when we discuss life together and apply God's truth. It happens in growth groups. It happens in informal gatherings uh, where we have meaningful conversations with other Christians. Uh, this is how we put on the armor of God. This is how we put on the belt of truth. Uh, by making God's truth the pillar and cornerstone of our church community, not, not just in formal parts of our service, but, but in our relationships with one another as well. Uh, in this way, we, we help one another and help the next generation build a worldview that's based on the truth of the scriptures. In fact, it's like the preacher I, I, I know who once uh, served a long time in a part of the world where false religion dominated. I once heard somebody ask him, how do you deal with that? Do you find yourself constantly have to, having to critique uh, every other belief system? Uh, I love the answer the guy gave. The, the guy gave. Um, he essentially said, no, that's not what he did. He combated, he combated error by preaching the truth. In fact, this is what he said. He said, if you want to show that a line is crooked, what do you do? Well, you draw a straight line next to it. Now, false beliefs do need to be challenged. But one of the best ways to challenge lies is by speaking the truth. 
And yet how often the truth is under attack today, even the very idea of truth. And yet as Christians, we believe in truth. We believe in God's truth. We believe in true truth. We believe it's not just a matter of interpretation or opinion. And so we gird our loins with truth in everything that we say, in everything that we do. Uh, We cultivate true belief, a true belief system that's based on God's revelation. Uh, We stand firm by putting on the belt of truth, uh, by pursuing true belief that is informed by the Scriptures. Uh, But secondly, in addition to true belief, by God's power, we need to arm ourselves with right behavior, right behavior. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, I mean we stand against the devil's schemes not only through committing to knowing rightly, but also by living rightly. Uh, What we know has to change what we do. Experiencing God's love for us must overflow in love for God and love for our neighbor. And this is what Paul means when he speaks of putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, uh, This word righteousness is such an important word. It's really a central word to understand as we come to read our Bibles. But it's a word that has two main senses. It's, it's kind of used in two ways. Uh, the first relates to our right standing with God, uh, what theologians often call the forensic sense of the word, uh, which simply means it's a legal word, a word that describes God's verdict on us in the courtroom of heaven. And now some people take the word in this way in Ephesians 6. I think it's, it's perfectly plausible to do so. Uh, But if that is right, what does Paul mean by putting on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, what he means is this. He means to remember and rely upon the truth of our justification. Uh, Justification. And now justification is a big word, but it's a a big word for a a great gift, a free gift of God. Uh, To be justified is is to be declared right, to be declared righteous by God. It is to be declared not guilty, not because of anything we have done, but only through what Christ has done for us. Uh, We are justified by Christ through faith alone, and and it is so important to keep that at the forefront. Uh, Martin Luther said this is the the doctrine on which the church either stands or falls. If we fail to recognize the truth of our our justification, that we're right with God through Christ alone, I think it it leads us to fall off in, in one of two directions. Either we become self-righteous, we show no grace, we start to judge other people for their sins, or else we become despondent. Uh, We know our sins too well, and we know we don't measure up, and so we just live our lives crushed under the weight of our sin, rather than experiencing the freedom of God's forgiveness. Uh, We need to understand that we are righteous in Jesus Christ. And we need to grasp that this is a once-and-done thing. If you are a Christian, you will never be more or less right with God than you are today because you are perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. Uh, But is that what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, well, maybe you think it is. That's, of course, a glorious thing. You need to remember that. But what I'd suggest is this. That's just a part of putting on the belt of truth, isn't it? That's a part of right belief, viewing ourselves and God the right way, understanding the freedom of God's forgiveness, And so I think the focus is a little bit different here when we think about the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, You see, this word righteousness is used in another sense, in a more ethical sense, in in more a sense of our behavior. In the words of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, to be righteous is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not that living the right way makes you right with God. No, that's the point that I just made. But having been made right with God, we need to start to reflect God more and more through right behavior. 
Righteousness is about doing the right thing. It's about saying the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And to be righteous is to be like Jesus Christ. Uh, And so why do I say that righteousness here means that in Ephesians chapter 6? Well, the answer is this. That is how Paul uses the word righteousness elsewhere in his letter to the Ephesians. In fact, we've already seen it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Uh, There we see that living as a Christian means putting off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It means being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then look at verse 24. It means putting on the new self. But what are we told about this new self? Well, it is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, this word righteousness in Ephesians has less to do with our standing with God and more to do with our Christian behavior. It isn't so much about the truth of our justification as the fruit of the gospel in sanctification. And in case you're wondering what this means in practice, well, thankfully, in verses 25 and following, Paul now begins to spell it out. To put on the righteousness of Christ includes saying no to certain things, and it includes saying yes to other things that are better. In fact, he lays out the general principle in verse 22 through 24, and then Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 5, verse 2, provide numerous examples, and I encourage you to read those verses this afternoon. Here is one example, verse 25. Take a look. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Do you see the putting off and the putting on there? Stop lying, he says, and instead speak the truth. Not just truth as in don't lie, but the truth, the truth we've just mentioned, the truth that he speaks about earlier in verse 15. He even gives the underlying reason, and it's a good Sunday to remember it, isn't it? Because in Christ we are members of one another. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness, stop lying and speak the truth. But then he gives another example there in verse 28. I love this one because it pushes and challenges most of us perhaps even in our political assumptions. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. I mean, that sounds a little bit conservative, doesn't it? Stop being a mooch. Get a proper job. But before we stop there, the verse goes on, doesn't it? We discover that righteousness means more than just looking after ourselves. No, righteousness includes having a social conscience. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, so that through his labor, God's generosity can overflow. And this is how we put on the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, it's very practical, isn't it? It's an invitation to get over ourselves. It's an invitation to live a different way. As we read in chapter 5, verse 1, it's an invitation to be imitators of God as beloved children. It is a call to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, what we discover really is putting on the armor of God is a very practical thing. It means imitating Christ and his righteousness by loving God and serving other people. It includes arming ourselves with true belief, developing a Christian worldview. But it also includes arming ourselves with right behavior, cultivating, uh, cultivating a community that is, is characterized by Christ-like generosity towards one another. And why is it so important for us to do this? 
Why is it so important to put on this particular piece of God's armor? I mean, perhaps it makes sense when we think about the belt of truth. Why does it matter that we cultivate uh, truth? Well, that guards us against lies. We have to cultivate a commitment to truth. But, but why does it matter so much that we focus on our behavior? Well, think for a moment. What happens when the church fails to do this? What happens when there is a gap that emerges between what we believe or what we claim to believe and how we behave in the world? Well, we become hypocrites, don't we? Uh, And hypocrisy becomes like a huge chink in the Christian's armor. It is something that is so easily exploited by the enemy and even by the world. It undermines the witness of the church. Uh, For example, I I think of the church's failure to join in the fight for civil rights. It's something which many Christians are now, and maybe even you feel, we're facing the consequences. Uh, But failure to pursue righteousness can be more damaging than that in one sense. It threatens the peace and the purity of the church itself. And the reason is because belief and behavior are so obviously related, aren't they? I mean, we know, don't we, bad beliefs always lead to bad behaviors. We know that. A failure to recognize the forgiveness of God is going to lead you to become ungracious and unforgiving towards others. Bad behaviors are often downstream from bad beliefs, we could say. And I think most of us understand that. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden. By believing the lie, that's what led to the first sin. But did you know that often it goes the other way as well? Bad beliefs can sit downstream from bad behaviors. A bad behavior can lead to bad belief. What I mean is individuals often wander away from the truth, not because they reject the truth flat out. No, instead, they are drawn into sin, perhaps a sinful lifestyle they enjoy. And so they reject the truth, not because it isn't true, because, but simply because the truth becomes rather inconvenient. I think of a British preacher from a few decades ago. I won't mention his name because I suspect he won't be known to most of you. He's a man who had a huge impact, especially on many college campuses within the United Kingdom. And then at one point he entered into an inappropriate relationship, one which defies what the Bible teaches about marriage. And it's interesting, only then did the theological justification come. Only then did he start writing books that seemed to be theologically out there. You see, the behavior came first, and then the false belief. And it is through this that many, many people are led into error. And the same thing happens not just with individuals, but in churches, or perhaps even within denominations. Uh, Moral compromise leads to doctrinal compromise. We fall into patterns of sin, or else we, we want to be accepted by the world, and so we flex on our moral stance. And before you know it, we've started flexing on the very truth of the gospel. And that is why we need to put on the belt of truth. We need to stand firm in God's word. But at the same time, it's why we need the whole armor of God. We also need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to guard both fronts, we could say. Not just the front of our doctrine, but also the front of our behavior. We need to be committed to living God's way as well as being committed to the truths of God's word. And in this, we need to encourage one another. In this, we need to hold one another accountable. It is why on the positive end we're told in Scripture to stir one another up, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And it's why we're, we're told in the Scriptures that we need to be uh, meeting with one another to guard one another against the deceitfulness of sin as well. It is why we need to find proactive ways to do good works, 
to get creative in ways to serve one another as a church, but, but also to serve more widely within our community. And we don't just put off sin. No, we replace it with love. And I want to say again, this is very, very practical, isn't it? Uh, this is much better than that old routine that I did in the morning of simply listing out the armor every single morning. It, it is, uh, it's uh, much more practical than that, but I have to say it's, it's much more convicting as well, isn't it? Because it, it speaks to our minds and our hearts in a way that uh, we often don't see. In fact, it, it challenges us whenever we go through that usual morning routine, asking ourselves, what should I wear? Because it, it, the armor of God confronts us with that question in terms of our Christian belief, our Christian behavior. Now, how we answer the question, what should I wear, depends on what we have lined up that day. Well, writes Paul, this is what you have lined up. You're in the middle of a war. But what awaits you today is a battle, a cosmic struggle between good and evil. And what you need to wear is the armor of God. You need to rely on God's strength to take your stand against the devil. And what that means, first of all, is putting on the belt of truth, having a worldview shaped by the word of God. And it means putting on the breastplate of righteousness, seeking to imitate Christ by loving and serving other people. And so by the grace of God, uh, with God's help, let's arm ourselves with true belief and with right behavior. And may God help us take our stand with these things. In fact, let's turn to him in prayer. Let's ask him to do, to do so now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the armor that you have provided for us and equipped us with. Uh, thank you that you've given us your truth in your word and you've given us your spirit so that we can understand it. And you've called us into a community where we can speak the truth and love to one another and encourage one another in this. And Lord, thank you for giving us the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, that not only have you declared us righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ, but through Christ you've given us your precious Holy Spirit. You've made us new in Christ, and you call us then to live a new way. And so we pray that you'd help us be committed uh, to you, even though we fail in these things, to be committed to pursuing a behavior that reflects your kindness and goodness to us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you guard us and protect us uh, against the enemy. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.